Please join me in prayer. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, move among us that we may hear God's word, and hearing it, we might respond with boldness today and every day. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Okay, it's day two in the new year 2022. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Still committed as much as ever? Thrown in the towel already? Putting it off until Monday because Monday is a logical time to start a resolution? Or maybe, like me, you just don't even bother. So just to keep it real, here are some fun facts about New Year's resolutions that I picked up on the Google. Here we go. Of those who make a New Year's resolution after one week, what percentage do you think after one week are still at it? Guesses? Wow, 10, 20 percent. According to this, 75 percent. And after six months... 46%. And when I read that, I thought, nah, this survey is a little suspect. I'm not sure if I'm going for that. In comparison of those people who have similar goals but do not set a resolution after six months, they have that similar goal but they didn't set a resolution, 9% are still at it. That made me think, well, maybe I should think about a resolution again. I don't know. I think... I've just not really been a a, a New Year's resolution person very much. In one recent study, 35% of participants who failed their New Year's resolution said that they made unrealistic goals. Another one said they didn't keep track of their progress. Another said they forgot about their resolutions, likely story. And another one said they made too many resolutions. That's interesting. I don't know. So... I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of guy. I've tried it over the years. I haven't necessarily been very successful. And so I thought, you know, this is something that I can let go of and something less that I can feel bad or guilty about not following through on. So I did that. I just stopped stopped doing the New Year's resolution thing. But I have an idea for everyone here, for everyone worshiping elsewhere, online and on the radio, especially for you if you're like me and don't do the resolution thing, but for all of us, even if you do make resolutions. And I'll get back to that idea in just a minute. Last fall, someone asked me about a part of our worship services that they were curious about. And that question led me to this sermon this morning. And so today's scripture lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. I invite you now to listen that by faith you may receive God's word for you today. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So having heard the reading, you might be able to guess where we're headed. It's right there in your bulletin every single week. The words of forgiveness right after the prayer of confession. The liturgist says, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel. And we all respond. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. What does it mean exactly? That was the question that came to me. This person who is a a longtime member of the church just said, we say these words every week. We are saved by grace through faith. What does it mean that we are saved by grace through faith? Oh my, I thought. That is a great question. That is where the rubber truly meets the road. It is, frankly, one of the most important tenets of our belief system, of our theological belief system, as Reformed Christians. And Presbyterians are Reformed Christians, as you know. So what does it mean? I thought about the idea of an elevator speech. Maybe you know that, that whole idea. If you're in business or maybe you just know the term elevator speech— This is the opportunity that you have to get something out there really quick and convey a meaning, to convey a vision, to convey some information in a short period of time. If you stepped on an elevator and you just had a few floors to ride with someone, how would you get that information out? My first elevator speech, Cutco Knives. Anyone familiar with Cutco Knives? Much to my parents' dismay, because they ended up buying a lot of my Cutco knives, I learned an elevator speech. I knew how to sell those knives in a hurry. Well, I kind of think that if you took that section of our bulletin, hear and believe the good news of the gospel, and everything that follows in that section, that's your elevator speech. As a Christian, as a Presbyterian, as a Reformed Christian, that's our elevator speech. So, what do we need saving from, exactly? What about this grace? What about faith? These are heavy words. Well, okay, so let's take grace as a starting point. When you think of grace, what do you think of? Here are some thoughts. A gift that you weren't expecting. Grace. Something that you don't feel worthy to receive. Someone said that, When they think of grace, they're reminded of their great aunt Grace, who collected frogs and bourbon. Grace, Thanksgiving at mealtimes, or the fluid movements of a ballerina. Or perhaps grace is simply the act of your presence for someone else. Your presence, just being a mere support by showing up. But when life is going hard and you've made wrong choices or you're in need of a little forgiveness, the most crucial meaning 
that we care about, probably, is that we want the grace of God or the grace offered to us by another person instead of the punishment or the treatment that we may deserve for doing something wrong or hurting someone's feelings. It's the the kind of treatment and extended patience that we all need from time to time. And it's the kind of attention that God gives us all the time. I love how Brene Brown sums this up. Writer and teacher, she says this, Grace means that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. All your mistakes serve a purpose instead of serving shame. So we have the opportunity to learn from our mistakes, but we don't have to allow them to beat us down and keep us down. And here at the beginning of a new year, as we're thinking of of starting fresh, that's a great opportunity for freedom. I'm hopeful for us in that regard. Sometimes we say, let's show some grace. Let's, Let's be understanding that We all fail at hitting the mark every single time. We all need a little bit of grace and forgiveness and care. Our ability to grant grace to another rather than to judge another is what frees us. It's it's what heals us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is related. Grace reconciles us to God and to one another. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the opportunity at every corner, at every turn, to love our neighbor, to forgive, and to offer grace. In other words, we have that opportunity to be kind and caring when we might be motivated otherwise. If someone has treated us wrong, we can choose to show them grace. Is it easy? No, probably not. This could be overlooking someone's bad attitude toward us because we know that they're dealing with something in their lives. Or offering to help someone that needs it and that person won't ask for it. In her new book just published called Saving Grace, CNN senior political analyst Kirsten Powers talks about this idea that everybody deserves to be treated with grace, to be treated with humanity. She has an often frustrating task because she is moderating political conversations between people, different perspectives, different sides of the aisle, and it can really be a weight. And she took time out of her career to step back and catch her breath and sort of reset, based on her faith, her way of processing and dealing with people because she did not like the direction that she was going. She was not extending grace. In fact, she was feeling quite the opposite Uh, toward people with whom she disagreed. So she says extending grace does not mean that others are not accountable for their behavior or there are no consequences. Her point, though, is just not to dehumanize the other, not to demonize them, 
Grace is about recognizing that there's a whole story behind this person who got to this place, to this perspective, to this, the way that they carry themselves. And she says this, I don't think you'll ever go wrong treating people with grace. And it is so true. While we can't control if other people will show us grace when we need it, we can choose to give grace to others. And it's not easy, but it can be freeing. It is so true that we don't know what is behind the facade. Even the people in our lives, the most intimate people that we know in our circles, our family, our close friends, those with whom we have influence, there is always something in the mix that may not be on the surface that impacts how we relate with one another. Maybe we're short with them in in a verbal exchange. Maybe we simply are not engaged. Whatever the case may be, we have opportunities on a daily basis to extend grace or not. And there there are positive and negative consequences to those choices. We Presbyterians believe the Bible when it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, from Romans 3. It's not easy to square this reality when we also believe that we are genuinely a good person, that we care for each other, that we're always thinking about other people, and yet we all sin and fall short. It's hard. It's a hard reality. But it is a truth that every one of us, because we are finite creatures that God created, that there's going to be something that is going to go amiss, that is going to go awry. Here at the start of a new calendar year, we yearn for a fresh start, to wipe the slate clean, to get a do-over. Even so, each of us has something that we trip over in our lives, something that causes us to stumble spiritually. Unlike crime, which involves the breaking of human law, sin is a condition of the heart or an expression that that condition where we are estranged from God and we fail to trust in God. Sin expresses itself in particular acts. The brief statement of faith is a confession of our denomination, and it has this to say. But we rebel against God. We hide from our Creator, ignoring God's commandments. We violate the image of God in others and ourselves. Accept lies as truth, exploit neighbor and nature, and threaten death to the planet entrusted to our care. We deserve God's condemnation. But it doesn't end there. Yet, God acts with justice and mercy to redeem creation, loving us still. God makes us heirs with Christ of the covenant, like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, Like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home, God is faithful still. God is faithful. We don't get what we deserve. We do get a do-over. We do get to wipe the slate clean. Not only at the start of a calendar year, but any time we go to God and ask for this opportunity. Because of God's ways. God has always been faithful. We believe that God offers us salvation because of God's loving nature. It is not a right 
or a privilege to be earned by being good enough. And that is a really hard reality to let go of for some of us, maybe many of us, who are, who are taught, be good, do good, and you'll be rewarded. In this case, this is all about God's doing and our receiving. None of us, none of us is good enough on our own. We are all dependent upon God's goodness and mercy. From the kindest, most devoted church grower to the most blatant sinner, we are all saved solely by the grace of God. That is hopeful, friends. Every one of us, regardless of what our life has held, the decisions that we've made or not made, the state of our hearts, where we are in our lives, God's grace is equally accessible to every one of us. And that is a gift. Out of the greatest possible love and compassion, God reached out to us and redeemed us through Jesus Christ, the only one who was ever without sin. It is through Jesus' death and resurrection that God triumphed over sin. One of my favorite passages comes from Philippians 2, and the writer puts it this way. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." It means so much to think about this person who had a place of prominence, emptying himself, removing all of that identity for our sake, humbling himself for our sake. And in the process of this and the example of God's love, God sent the Holy Spirit to be our companion on this journey, our counselor, and our guide in living a life of service to God. And so Jesus has modeled this servant approach to life well beyond what we could do, but a model nonetheless, which is why we endeavor to follow Christ. And so it is God's Holy Spirit that justifies us by grace through faith. We believe it. Because this is what scripture tells us. The spirit justifies us and sets us free to accept ourselves and the love God, to to love God and neighbor. And that's really the hard part, I think. We are able to receive grace. We can access, all of us can access grace. And that's a wonderful promise, as I've already stated. But the other piece is that in receiving grace, we have a charge. We have a responsibility. We're not only passive receivers, but when we receive this gift, we are told, share it with others. And so, think of that person. Think of that situation that just raises your blood pressure because that's the person, that's the situation that perhaps is, is being surfaced as you hear me this morning. 
that you might need to offer a new opportunity for, might need to offer some grace in the situation. From time to time, I have people visit me in my office or we have coffee together and they talk about their struggles with faith. In some cases, I've spoken with folks who say they have no faith at all and they're facing a life-altering situation. A difficult diagnosis, challenges with their children, uh, difficulty transitioning to retirement, all different kinds of life circumstances. And they're struggling with their faith. And, and we talk it through. In the cases where people just, you know, they frankly will say, well, I, I don't really know why I'm talking to you. You're a minister and I'm, and I'm not a believer. Well, you know, that's a little awkward, but, you, <laughs> but you, you, you say, I'm so glad that you reached out and I'm glad to have the opportunity to, to hear you and to, to process with you and to offer you some, some, uh, some thoughts that maybe you might consider, something along those lines. But I will say that it stuns me to think about living this life on earth with all the stuff that comes our way. My gosh, these last two years, some, some, these last two years with, with the illnesses that have gone around and the challenges that we've had in society and, and on and on, only having the things that we can see or perceive based on what we see without that anchor without that hope that, that faith in God and the future can bring, it, it just, it, it saddens me and it, it helps me guide how I pray for a person in that kind of situation because the hope is missing without that, that faith. Faith, the book of Hebrews tells us, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is one of my favorite verses as well, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. God's gift of grace and gift of faith help us assuage our fear, whatever, whatever might be bringing us fear in our lives, and gives us hope. We have to tell ourselves that from time to time. And that's one of the blessings of community because we can remind one another that when we see uh, a, a friend in the community suffering, we can remind them of God's presence. And it may just be your, your coming in and being present that would be that reminder. One of the truths that we affirm about our faith because of Christ is grace grace and because of the grace what we say is that we are dead to sin and alive to all that is good when we come around the baptismal font we are reminded that we are given life we are alive to all that is good and we die to sin i said at the beginning that i had an idea for those of us who are kind of the naysayers on the the, the new year's resolution and here it is. I think it's, it's a good one. It's easy and consequential. Easy because it's going to be in front of you every week. Every time that you come to worship, every time that you worship with us and pull that worship bulletin online, you will see those words. We are saved by grace through faith. And I want to challenge us each week 
to really take in the significance of those words. What is it that God is saving you from this time, this week? Worry? A bad choice? A missed opportunity? Maybe there's not an answer this week. And what grace is being extended to you? Where have you strayed? Where have you had challenges? Where, have you, where can you this morning say, oh my goodness, I made it through last week, and, and name those things? And to whom can you extend grace? Who in your life deserves a clean slate or a do-over with you? There is no time, no better time than January 2nd to just stop and give these kinds of questions your consideration. And then, as the weeks go on, you can be successful. I want to hear all year long when I'm greeting you after worship or during the week, I'm sticking with that resolution. I'm game. I'm game for that if you're game for that. I'd love to hear how you are truly receiving that gift of grace and how you are extending it to others. As I close this morning, I close with very familiar words with a hope and a prayer that this lifts you up, that this message of unmerited favor, of God's loving grace, will will give you hope into your future. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Friends, all thanks be to God. Amen.